Well, hello. Fancy meeting you here. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to D&D Optimized, part of the D4 network, the show where each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for Dungeons & Dragons 5e. We crunch numbers about them, we theorycraft about them, and basically just create a character that is both really fun and also really powerful to play in-game. So if you enjoy creating characters for D&D almost as much as playing the actual game, then welcome home. This is where you belong. We're super happy to have you. Thanks for being here. And uh, yeah, my name's Colby. I'll be your host. Before I jump into the episode today, I want to ask a super quick favor. If you have not yet checked out any of um, the Sliding Into My DMs episodes that are part of uh, the, the network, the channel, check out the playlist there. It's basically the talk show portion of the channel, of the network, where I chat with some of my DMs each week about D&D news, D&D rules, and uh, D&D tips, basically. So we've, we've had some nice growth on those videos lately, but I'd love to see it grow even more. So if you think that's something that you might be interested in, please check it out. And if you actually have watched one or two in the past, but it's not something that you find particularly interesting or compelling, I'd be happy to know why if you wanted to uh, give us some feedback. If you could be critical without being cruel, then that's bonus points for you. So anyway, thank you and let's jump in to the episode. Even though in my combat medic build last week, there we go, card number two, I did take some artificer levels. I think that to date, the artificer is the class that I have done the fewest builds on. The, uh, the Mounted Battlesmith and the Guardian Armorer, number four, wow, are the only two I have done to date, I believe, where I took more Artificer levels than anything else, I think. For the others, even when I've taken a dip occasionally, that has been few and far between on this channel. This is partly due, I think, to the fact that well, in my opinion anyway, artificers are among the weakest classes in the game. Not worthless by any means, there's still ways to build them effectively, I think, but just among the, the less powerful classes. That said, that alone hasn't stopped me from making several monk builds, I suppose, so... Okay, fine. There's There are other things going on there. For one, artificers have the fewest subclass choices by far compared to other classes, so there's just kind of fewer options to potentially dip into when I'm looking for ways to optimize a character. And yes, okay, fine. I do have like a known bias against clockworky, steampunky, getting all up in my high fantasy business. I know, I know, Artifice doesn't have to be steampunk, but I'm sorry, that's just how I'm always going to see it, and I really can't unsee it that way, and, and that's fine. That said, I have definitely come around a little bit on Artifice. My armor tank, the Guardian tank that I mentioned earlier, is, is one of my most successful videos of all time, so I suppose that helps a little bit. <laughs> also, the world that we're playing in right now for our Tales of Anaria campaign, and there's my fifth and final card that YouTube allots me each week, is a really fun and 
charming place, frankly, and it's filled with artifice. My DM, uh, Corey, is is into that. And his brother, Scott, who plays at our table, has built a character, Bolt, that is a guardian armorer, and he's pretty cool. So, you know, those, ki- those things have really kind of helped me come around a little bit, I think, to the artificer as a class. Now, I have had several requests to make an infiltrator build. I've done an armor, like I've said, but that was focused on the guardian option of the armorer and built for tanking. The infiltrator is really more designed for stealth and ranged damage. And the more I've looked at it, frankly, the more interesting and fun and potentially powerful it seemed to be to me. And so that is what we're going to be diving into today. And now, last week, as I mentioned, I did a combat medic build, and it could potentially fill the scout rogue role, but it was a little bit of an afterthought, admittedly, for that character. It wouldn't necessarily have excelled in that role, at least not until after like mid-game. This week, the stealth and sneakiness of the infiltrator is much more an integral part of the build. More than that, though, this character is really built for solid, sustained damage per round, which will be the primary objective of the build, to build it for really good, sustained damage, meaning that they can do high damage turn after turn without expending a lot of expendable resources, right? As a, So as opposed to burst damage build or Nova damage builds. And it has the nice bonus of being tankier than most characters who are built for stealth or damage. So that's actually a pretty cool bonus that we pick up uh, along the way with this character. And so, channeling my inner Snake Eyes, oh, I love this shirt. Snake Eyes is so cool. I present episode 56, The Infiltrator. Before we jump into the build, really quickly, I just wanted to talk to you guys about the sponsor for the video today, um, Mage Hand Press, who just today, actually, as of this recording, uh, launched their Kickstarter for their new book, which is called Valda's Spire of Secrets. It is a really fantastic 5e compatible like compendium book that actually feels a lot more like an expansion to existing content akin to Xanathar's or Tasha's, but with even more content, actually. The first thing that jumps out to me about this book is the artwork. I really love the art style, and I'm, I'm, I'm amazed, frankly, at both the quality and the quantity of fantastic artwork throughout the book. Um, there's, there's really good stuff on almost every page. As far as content goes, I'm kind of amazed at how much they pack in here. Over 350 pages of stuff, including new races, new spells, new feats, new magic items, 10 new classes, and over 150 new subclasses for both the new classes, but also for the existing ones, which I really love. And in fact, I wanted to highlight that today for just a second. While I love the brand new subclasses that they've introduced here with this book, like the Warden, the Investigator, the War Mage, which I'm probably gonna highlight in in an upcoming video, it's really nice to see some love given to existing ones as well. And you guys know, the first thing that I did when I got my hands on the book was to jump to the monk and see what they added as far as subclasses for the monk, which is, as most of you know, my favorite class in the game, even if they're a little underpowered. So we get things like Way of the Bow, which is great for a monk who really wants to focus on like ranged attacks, Way of the Four Fists, for those who want to like play as the Monkey King in D&D. But my favorite, I think, has 
has to be the way of the rose. It's the whimsical romantic in me, I suppose. Among the features that we get with this subclass are something called sweet aroma, blossom burst, which blinds your target with uh, like flower petals, and uh, wreathed in thorns, which lets you, as a reaction, make an unarmed strike against an attacker, which is really cool. So anyway, Mike, who is the head of Mage Hand Press, is a great guy. He's been a real pleasure to work with, actually. And you should absolutely back this project. Check out the URL in the video description. There will be a link to it. Go there, follow them, back the project. You won't regret it. So thanks to Mage Hand Press, and let's jump into the build. All right, at level one, we're actually gonna start with a level in fighter here. So that's our first class. If my primary concern were to be like the best stealthy, scouty lock picker I could be, I think I would start with rogue here instead, mostly for expertise. But since I'm focusing on sustained damage per round while also trying to augment my stealthy, scouty, lock picky abilities, I'm gonna start fighter for one main reason and some secondary reasons. So at the beginning of our character's career, I think they were probably like a simple soldier uh, in a city guard or maybe the personal guard of a noble or a city lord or ruler. They might've been with the archery division or the crossbow division. But as for our race, I'm gonna go with custom lineage. There are several feats that I want and two in particular that are very important to our damage output among other things. If you get a free feat uh, at your table or you simply want to go another route, that's fine. You know, my top pick would be Half-Elf, I think, for this build for the nice stats that you get, but plus access to Elven accuracy, which we would make use of for sure. If you're going to start this character at like a later level, say level eight or nine or beyond, or if you're okay with a weaker early game, but a little bit stronger late game, damage-wise. In that case, too, I would probably go with half-elf. But if you want to be strong now and still strong later, it's hard to beat a free feat at level one. As for that free feat that we're going to pick up, I'm going to recommend that we go with Fey Touched, one of my favorites. We get to add one to our most important stat, which is intelligence. And then we get the Misty Step spell, which is fantastic. It lets you teleport as a bonus action up to 30 feet to a, to a place you can see. Always handy. And then one other first level spell of our choice, but it has to be from the Divination or Enchantment schools of magic. Now, both of these spells that we pick up can be cast once per day without using a spell slot, which is great. But then later on, if we get spell slots, we can cast them using existing spell slots, right? And that is really nice. As for the additional spell that we pick up, I'm gonna recommend that we take Bless, which is from the Enchantment School. As most of you know, Bless is really just one of the best buff spells in the game, and it's useful throughout our career. It lets us, as an action, pick up to three people in our party, can include ourselves, and then for one minute, as long as we maintain concentration, we all get to add a d4 to all of our attacks and a d4 to all of our saving throws. That's superb. The biggest drawback to it is that it costs an action to cast, but considering the nice benefit that, that most of our party is gonna get both offensively and defensively from this, I think it worth the action. Admittedly, when it comes time to crunch the numbers, I'm actually gonna be using a different spell for our concentration, but we will make a lot of use of this early on, and frankly, you very well may decide to just use this throughout your character's career. At the very least, it will be good to have when you're you know, otherwise out of spell slots. As for our abilities, 
as always, I'm going to assume that we're using the point by system. We're going to take a 15 in our intelligence and use our plus two from our racial bonus there, as well as the plus one from our free feet, letting us start with an 18 intelligence, our most important stat, which is super nice. Then I would go with a 14 dexterity and a 14 constitution. The middling dexterity score is admittedly the one thing that I really don't love about this build. It makes our job as a scout uh, a little bit tougher especially early on. We will shore up those important scout abilities in a few levels, but we're just not going to be amazing at, well, infiltrating just yet. We'll be okay, so long as you make sure you pick up proficiency uh, in stealth with your background. As for equipment, pretty standard stuff. I would make sure to pick up a heavy crossbow for your martial weapon, as well as like some chain mail, get a shield that we'll, that we'll be using later. You know, with a 14 dexterity, these first few levels are going to be a little bit painful damage-wise, but not too bad because fighters at level one do get a fighting style. And we, of course, are going to be taking archery. It lets us add a plus two to hit when we used ranged weapons. I think it's the most powerful, like, damage fighting style that's out there. So, you know, between Bless, which is only once per short rest for now, but that's going to change soon, and the archery fighting style, our 14 dexterity doesn't hurt that bad. We still should be landing attacks with great reliability. Then finally, as a fighter level one, we get second wind, which is a great self-heal that we get to use once per short rest as a bonus action, and it will heal us for 1d10 plus our fighter level. So early on especially, it's quite potent. At level two, I'm thinking that your skill with ranged weapons, and maybe even more importantly, your keen intellect and perception skills have gotten the attention of either a commanding officer or more likely someone assigned to your noble's secret service. They're always looking for recruits who, uh, who they can train as spies or as infiltrators, and uh, they've picked you. Lucky. <laughs> so. You're basically James Bond now. And of course, your first stop, as as any double agent would know, is to meet with Q. <laughs> so you can get fitted out with all of the latest gadgetry to help you with your mission. So yeah, even though Action Surge is only one level away, and feel free to take it first by taking another fighter level here if you have to, uh, we are going to take Artificer levels now. So as an Artificer, level one, you gain proficiencies. Uh, you get proficiency with Thieves Tools and Tinkerer's Tools, which is really important for our infiltration abilities, right? So make sure you pick up some thieves tools and start practicing your lock picking and trap disarming. We also get magical tinkering. So Q has taught us a few tricks of the trade, I suppose, and we can do fun things like making mundane objects shed light or make a noise or a visual effect, cool things like that. Then of course, we also get spells. As for cantrips, I would make sure to pick up mending. We're gonna especially want that later. And then firebolt will be a nice damage option for us for dealing with enemy resistance and immunities, uh, which I'll actually discuss more in the final thoughts. As for first level spells, I would probably get Cure Wounds, which is nice to have in a pinch, and Fairy Fire. Here's a spell, actually, that I don't use all that much in my builds. In fact, I don't know if I've done a build that, that like, plans on using Fairy Fire all the time for concentration. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> and that seems crazy. I mean, 
it's a really great spell, right? So as an action with our concentration, we can hit targets in a 20-foot cube, not a huge area, but in a 20-foot cube enforce a dexterity saving throw, or else they are outlined in light, after which any attack against them will have advantage and they can't benefit from invisibility. They don't get to save after that initial save if they fail, right? So what's a better use for our concentration now, this or bless? At this level, having advantage would be about one more damage per round for us and probably our allies too uh, when compared to bless depending on the enemy armor class the problem is they might make their saving throw and also you might not be able to get every single enemy inside the area of effect when you cast it right add to that the nice defensive bonuses that bless gives us to our saving throw right and i would say that you're better off with bless for now we will come back to fairy fire later though so stay tuned feel free as far as first level spells you know to take something else in the meantime like catapult or feather fall etc one note you might want to sell off that chainmail armor that you started with here and pick up a chain shirt instead or just start with it via gold buy or if your dungeon master will let you take a chain shirt instead of chain mail at the beginning. Chain shirt's medium armor. It's only a 13 armor class as opposed to the chain mail, which is 16, but with our plus two dexterity modifier, it's only one armor class less. And more importantly, it doesn't impose disadvantage on stealth checks, which I assume that you're going to be making now since uh, you are, after all, in Her Majesty's Secret Service. At level three, we are an artificer level two, and we get infuse item, my favorite thing about the artificer, their infusions. So now we get to infuse two non-magical items and make them magical with a list of really great potential infusions. We actually get four infusions known here, but we can only have two of them active at any one time, and no item can hold more than one of our infusions at a time, so you can't infuse your armor with two infusions yet. We can also swap out what item and what infusion we're using at a long rest. For now, the ones that I would use would probably be a repeating shot for my crossbow, which makes it a plus one weapon and also ignores the loading property and it makes the crossbow like create its own ammunition. So that's nice. You could potentially actually put this on a hand crossbow at this point and equip a shield at the same time. It'd be a little bit less damage, but bumping our armor class by two might be worth it. The other infusion that I'm gonna want to take here is the homunculus servant. And we're actually gonna be relying on a homunculus throughout our career. For now, it basically just gives us a nice little bonus action attack. You're gonna need a gem or a crystal worth 100 gold pieces in order to create this homunculus, so I, I hope you've managed to save your gold thus far. But assuming you have it, you can build this cool, like, little tiny servant whose appearance you can determine. It takes its turn immediately after yours, it can fly, and it can make a ranged attack, amongst other things, like I say, if you use your bonus action to command it. It's pretty squishy, so hopefully keeping it in the air and away from the action will be enough to keep it safe. The damage it does isn't all that great, so it's hard to imagine a dungeon master intentionally targeting this, but if they did, it's probably not the worst thing in the world because, you know, you can always bring it back. It also does have the evasion skill akin to like the rogues or the monks, which lets you take reduced or even no damage on dexterity saving throws. And it can cast a spell with the range of touch that you cast. I'm not going to plan on making use of that personally, but I'm sure some of you have great ideas on how to do so. Feel free to let me know what those are in the comments. At level four, we are an artificer level three 
and we get some great things. So we get the right tool for the job, which lets us create some artisans tools if we need them after an hour of uninterrupted work. And then of course we get our artificer subclass, our, our artificer specialist. And we are of course taking armorer. As I've mentioned, I've done an armorer build in the past, but here's the really cool thing about armorers, right? They're sort of two subclasses rolled into one. Here's what we read about them. An artificer who specializes as an armorer modifies armor to function almost like a second skin. The armor is enhanced to hone the artificer's magic, unleash potent attacks, and generate a formidable defense. The artificer bonds with this armor, becoming one with it, even as they experiment with it and refine its magical capabilities. Okay, so as an armorer, we get tools of the trade which gives us proficiency with smith's tools and with heavy armor we already had that because of fighter we get additional spells so magic missile thunder wave those are actually pretty nice and we might end up using those as damage options at some point but then arcane armor so as an action we can turn one suit of armor into our arcane armor if it normally has a strength requirement it no longer does so that would let us you know wear heavy armor without suffering the movement penalty now which is nice and the armor can be a spellcasting focus for our artificer spells uh, it can't be removed from us against our will and it covers our entire body although we can retract the helmet so i guess now we're a little more Iron Man than we are James Bond or Snake Eyes. We also get to choose our armor model, and here's where we get into the whole two subclasses in one thing. So we get the Guardian option for our armor model, and of course that's what I used for the armor tank. It gives us some nice tanky features, but of course we're going to go with the Infiltrator model. That's what I'm going to focus on for this build. But do note, and this is important, you can swap out what model your armor is using after a long rest. So if you ever wanted to put on like the Hulkbuster version of your Iron Man suit, I suppose, and tank it up, you totally could. And I actually really love the versatility that that brings us, it's, it's fantastic. But as for the Infiltrator, first up, we get a special weapon that allows us to use our intelligence modifier for hit and for damage when we use that special weapon for attacks. And that's really cool. Happy days. Our special weapon on the Infiltrator model is called Lightning Launcher. And we're told that it takes the shape of a gem-like node, either on our chest or on our fist. So yeah, Iron Man indeed. It counts as a simple ranged weapon uh, that we're proficient with. It has a range of 90 feet without disadvantage and 300 feet with disadvantage. That's crazy. Now, it only deals 1d6 lightning damage on a hit, which isn't amazing, but the first time that you hit with it per turn, it does an extra 1d6 of damage, sort of like a sneak attack or something. We also get to increase our move speed by 5, which is always welcome, and then a dampening field, which is fantastic. This gives us advantage on stealth checks. Now, as tempting as it would be to take some plate mail armor here for the armor class bump, right? Keep in mind that all heavy armor imposes disadvantage on stealth checks unless it's mithril. So the advantage that you get from dampening field and the disadvantage from you know wearing heavy armor would cancel each other out. Now, you might not care that much about that and you know if not go ahead get some heavy armor personally i would probably at this point be saving up my gold for like just a breastplate right it's not quite as good 
but it is the best non-magical armor that doesn't impose disadvantage on stealth checks. And, you know, with our plus two dexterity bonus and with a shield, which we should definitely be using now because our lightning launcher can make attacks without holding a weapon in our other hand, there's no reason not to put a shield on at this point, we would have an 18 armor class with a breastplate. And that's pretty respectable, especially considering that we're going to be, you know, attacking from ranged most of the time. The thing is, we don't have expertise in our stealth checks right and so our stealth skill is just not all that amazing right now it's only a plus four assuming that we that we have proficiency there so if we had advantage from dampening field it almost makes up for the lack of expertise and making stealth checks would be really important to me i think if i were playing this character but don't worry you can still look like iron man if you want to the the armor still covers your entire body even with just a breastplate and you know hopefully your dm will be kind to you and let you find some mithril plate mail at some point along the way at level five we are an artificer level four and we get our first ability score increase or feat as a ranged character who's going for damage it's really hard to beat sharpshooter like great weapon master you can activate your sharpshooter ability and take a minus five to hit and gain a plus 10 to damage if you hit and that's huge of course the big drawback of the minus five to hit in our case is really tempered by a combination of our plus two to hit from archery and our plus one d4 to hit from the bless spell or advantage if we're using fairy fire making it so that we can really leave sharpshooter like turned on at almost all but the highest enemy armor classes more on that when i get into the first damage report don't forget that with sharpshooter we also ignore one half and three quarters cover which can be really nice depending on your table and we have no disadvantage at long range up to 300 feet and remember that's the distance that our lightning launcher can potentially reach. So you can now shoot up to 300 feet away without disadvantage, making you, I'm pretty sure, the best weapon using sniper in all of D&D. Which is awesome. At level six, you are an Artificer 5 and we get extra attack. This is where our sustained DPR really starts to shine. So yes, when we take the attack action on our turn, we can attack twice instead of once. We also get second level spells here and there are some really good ones, right? Aid, Invisibility, Web, Heat Metal, Enlarge, Reduce. I'm not planning on using any to increase our sustained DPR. So, you know, pick your favorites. Pick the ones that you find the most useful and or the most fun. Okay, so time for our first damage report. But before I get into the numbers, we need to revisit Fairy Fire here. Now that we have Sharpshooter, the discrepancy between having advantage on our attacks versus uh, an extra 1d4 from Bless is a lot bigger than it used to be, especially with two attacks per turn. At a low enemy armor class, it's about five more damage having advantage. And at just a 15 enemy armor class, it's almost 10 more damage per turn. So it's a little bit tougher of a decision now on whether we should use Fairy Fire or Bless. How important are defensive saving throws going to be in this fight for you and your allies? How likely is it that the enemy is going to make their saving throw against Fairy Fire? How many of the enemy can you get inside the range of the Fairy Fire? Answers to these questions are going to dictate which of the spells that you use because I always report on like best case scenario numbers when I do these damage reports, I'm just gonna assume here that you have advantage thanks to Fairy Fire and that you aren't using Bless for your concentration, but that won't always be the best idea, right? So adjust the numbers accordingly if you need to. Again, you know, five less damage using Bless at low AC, 
10 plus at like middling ACs and above. So for us right now, I'm assuming we're getting two D6 attacks using our Iron Man infiltrator chest beam or fist beam. The first one to hit gets an extra D6, like we've mentioned, and then we add four for our intelligence modifier and plus one for enhanced weapon. And of course, 10 for sharpshooter. Our homunculus also gets to make their little bonus action ranged attack for 1d4 plus 3. So against an enemy with a 10 armor class. At this level we would be doing 46 damage per round on average, and against an enemy with a 15 armor class it would be 39 damage per round. You know, thanks to the archery fighting style, enhanced weapon, and advantage, you wouldn't turn off sharpshooter until you are up against an enemy of an armor class of 22 or better. And if you're fighting a monster with a 22 AC at level 6, you have a very sadistic DM. <laughs> anyway, um, FYI, compared to other sustained damage builds that I've done, and you can see the comparison in the graphs and the chart in the video description, so check them out there. This build at this level is like in the top third of other T1 tier 1 builds. So we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. At level seven, we are an Artificer six. You might want to consider taking a rogue level here. I might have even considered doing that at level two, honestly. The sneak attack damage is nice, uh, but mostly it's the expertise that I'm missing in order to help us be better at infiltration. But because my stated primary goal for this character was sustained damage, I just didn't think I could put off getting extra attack any longer earlier on, you know? and. Again, if we're willing to only use medium armor until some mithril comes our way, we should be fine, I think, on our stealth checks most of the time, like I've mentioned. Plus, it's kind of fun to be roguelike without actually taking any rogue levels. Um, but don't hold me to that. <laughs> anyway, we're sticking with Artificer for now. And so at Artificer level six, speaking of why it's okay for us to not really need a rogue dip at this level, we get the very handy tool expertise, which means that when we use tools that we are proficient in, like thieves tools, for example, we get to double our proficiency bonus with them just like rogues potentially do. So even though it took us a minute to get here, we should now have a much easier time like de-trapping and de-locking <laughs> doors. <laughs> Let me in! Someone de-lock the door! Anyway, so our stealth checks are in a pretty good place right now, and our Thieves tool usage is in a pretty good place right now, so I'm feeling pretty good about our infiltrator abilities. We also, at this level, get to infuse a third item now, which is great, and also we get access to some additional infusions and magic item creations that were locked before, but are now de-locked. <laughs> <laughs> um, stupid. I think I would add one of those now and grab a Repulsion Shield, which adds plus one armor class to your shield, but also lets you use your reaction 1d4 times per day to push an enemy up to 15 feet away from you when they hit you with a melee attack, which is really quite good, especially for a ranged character. The enemy doesn't get to make a saving throw or anything, so that's that's awesome. Also, I would probably swap out Enhanced Weapon with Radiant Weapon, which is available at level 6, which is similarly a plus 1 to hit and damage, but has a nice little reaction as well if you get hit. But this one lets you try to blind an enemy that hits you for one turn, barring a constitution saving throw on their part. We are just in our James Bondiest, Iron Maniest groove right now. I love it. At level 8, we're in Artificer 7, and we get Flash of Genius. So intelligence modifier times per day, which is four for now, when you or another creature you can see within 30 feet makes an ability check or a saving throw. 
as a reaction, you can add your intelligence modifier to it. That is really quite good. I mean, you should probably be saving this for an important saving throw, right? But now also, potentially, we're just going to be that much better at infiltrating with our stealth checks, our sleight of hand checks, etc. if we really need to be. At level nine, we're an Artificer eight, and we get another ability score increase or feat. Maxing our intelligence here is definitely the way that I would go, and it feels really great to have both our you know, attack stat and our spell stat capped at 20. Now, let me pause momentarily here to mention an alternative build that I'm sure some of you have been sort of thinking about along the way. Why not take Crossbow Expert as a feat and use a one-handed crossbow so that you can make a bonus action attack with it, right? Using sharpshooter, that bonus action attack would do a lot more damage than your homunculus would, right? Here's the thing. If we want to use intelligence as our attack stat, as we've mentioned, it only works with our special armor or weapon, right? That lightning launcher, the chest or fist beam. And if we wanted to use a crossbow, we would have to rely on dexterity to make those attacks. Now, even though we can use intelligence to make attacks with our special weapon, we don't have to. We could use dexterity, so we could, you know, focus on dexterity here and not lose much as far as the damage is concerned. And having a higher dex would improve our roguelike skills, admittedly. But going that route would have hurt our spell DC and some other nice artificer features which we already have and which we're going to be picking up too along the way. That, among other things, means that fairy fire is much less likely to stick, which means that yes, if fairy fire worked, our damage would be better going that route, but it would be less likely to work and so we would probably be using bless instead so your damage would be significantly less using bless than with fairy fire so even though yes you would get a third attack with sharpshooter on your bonus action it would sort of be countered by the fact that overall you're doing less damage because you don't have advantage on those attacks so it ends up almost being a wash damage wise and it costs you an extra feat to pick up crossbow expert plus you know a worse intelligence score to get there so i just really like focusing on intelligence here and you know settling for the less impactful homunculus bonus action attack and finding other ways to bump our damage which we will do along the way but as is for us since last time we checked in for our damage report we haven't actually gained a lot of damage we've made a bump to our intelligence and to our proficiency bonus and that's really pretty much it. Though we have picked up a lot of really nice utility and support features along the way, which is really important to being a good team player and an even better infiltrator. So anyway, at level nine, against an enemy with a 10 armor class here, we would be doing 50 damage per round, and against an enemy with a 16 armor class, it would be 43. Uh, still respectable, but you know, not a lot better than last time. Keep in mind that you wouldn't have to turn off a Sharpshooter here until an enemy armor class of 24 or higher. And we are going to see some really nice increases to our damage very soon. At level 10 then, we are an Artificer 9. So we get something called armor modifications. Previously, our whole suit of armor counted as a single item for infusion purposes. And remember, we can't put more than one infusion on a single item, right? Now, however, because of this feature, it's broken down into chest piece, helm, 
boots, and special weapon. And each of them can receive a different infusion, which is really cool. We can also add two more infusions to our total, giving us a total of five, which is awesome. Now, two of our infusions have to be on parts of our armor, but that's totally cool. We're, we're infiltrator model 2.0 now, right? I would say, you know, we've already got our weapon enhanced, which is great. And then for the second infusion that has to be part of our armor, I would enhance the chest piece with mind sharpener. This lets you automatically succeed at a failed concentration check 1d4 times per day, and that frankly is amazing, especially for those of us who are constantly concentrating on spells. So we've got our weapon enhancement, our chest piece enhancement, we've got our homunculus, we've got our shield enhancement. For the fifth one, I would take the spell refueling ring, which lets us, as an action, once per day, recover a spell slot of up to third level. Uh, or lower, which is great. Speaking of third level spells, we get those now. And there are some great ones. Uh, you know, Revivify, obviously, if nobody else has a way to resurrect in your party. Fly is fantastic. Catnap for a 10 minute short rest. Blink is great and fun. But the one that I really want to mention here is Haste. So, Haste is amazing for weapon attackers especially. It requires concentration and an action to cast, and then for one minute, uh, it doubles our move speed, it adds two to our armor class, and it lets us get one extra action a turn. If we use that to make an attack, we just get one additional attack, right? We don't get to take a full action a la action surge here. It comes to attacking. Of course, as we all know, haste does come with a huge potential downside, and it's that when the spell ends, i.e. if you lose concentration in the middle of a fight, for example, we can't move or take actions for an entire turn. For a lot of characters, I'm worried about this. On this character, I'm, I'm really not worried about this at all. We've got a solid armor class. We have a good constitution saving throw and therefore concentration check. We have flash of genius to potentially let us add a bonus to a saving throw. And if all of that fails, we have this amazing infusion. Uh, but it is worth noting that potential downside. Okay, so now the question is, do we use haste instead of fairy fire? The answer I think is not yet. At least not most of the time, but soon. Against low armor class enemies, it is better. So if you're up against something that you know has a pretty low AC, go ahead and haste instead of fairy fire. But at a 17 enemy armor class and above, we are still better off with fairy fire thanks to that minus five to hit from sharpshooter. But just hold on for a couple of levels. I have a surprise. At level 11, we are an artificer 10 and we get magic item adept. You can craft magic items more easily, uh, assuming that's something that's allowed at your table. And most importantly, you can now attune up to four magic items, whereas all other characters can only attune up to three. Here's another pause. I think a lot of people really underestimate this ability, but the reason is because it's just so hard for us to know how powerful this will actually be from table to table, right? Now, some people may argue and with good reason, I think, that when we crunch numbers for an artificer, they compare more favorably to other classes than they actually should. Because for most characters, we usually say, like I do, I don't know what magic items are gonna be available at your table, so I can't calculate damage based on you know magic items. So we ignore them for most classes, but we do use magic items with artificers and some others like forge clerics, for example, because it's 
built into the rules for the class. But of course, the truth is that most of us will get magic items during our campaign. So in reality, that little advantage that we're giving to artificers is perhaps a little bit overblown. I think that all of that is potentially true. That said, if we're going to make that argument, I think we also have to acknowledge the likelihood that artificers too will get magic items during your campaign in addition to the ones that they're making themselves, right? With ideally the same frequency as the other characters at your table. And since they uniquely get to attune to more than any other class, and you know, keep in mind, typically the most powerful magic items require attunement, they will be likely to have an advantage over other characters because they're more likely to have more of those most powerful magic items. So while yes, perhaps the numbers overinflate the artificer's power by giving them and only them magic items for number crunching purposes, right? There's no reason to think that they won't be getting more magic items along the way too, just like everyone else. And at least at level 10 and beyond, especially, we would, I think, by the same argument, be stronger by comparison than we can really calculate. I don't know how much more powerful this feature will make you but it has the potential to make you a lot more powerful, and that's about the best we can say with any sort of <laughs> accuracy. One thing to note, enhanced weapon, the infusion enhanced weapon uh, is now now gives you a plus two to hit and to damage so i would probably swap back to enhanced weapon from radiant weapon it really annoys me that repulsion shield and radiant weapon don't also scale like enhanced weapon and enhanced defense do you could swap out repulsion shield here as well for enhanced defense because enhanced defense gives a plus two to your armor class repulsion shield doesn't scale but you would lose that knockback which is pretty sweet so do what you need to there. We also do get, as an Artificer level 10, a sixth for armors, anyway, infusion. And since level 10 is the level that we can, as one of our infusions, make more powerful, some of the more powerful magic items, I'm probably, I think, gonna take a Cloak of Protection here, giving me a plus one to my armor class and all of my saving throws. A less boring person might take winged boots instead. At level 12, we are finally level 11 artificer. I've been waiting for this. It's a big level for us. So we get a spell storing item as an artificer, which tells us that when we finish a long rest, we can store a first or second level artificer spell in a weapon or an item that requires one action to cast. Then, a different creature can produce the spell's effect from the item using their own action, but your spellcasting ability modifier and can even concentrate on the spell if it's a concentration spell using their own concentration. The spell can be cast from the item this way a number of times equal to twice your intelligence modifier per day, which is amazing and is another reason why I really wanted to focus on getting a high intelligence score for this character. That would give us at this point 10 first or second level spell slots basically per day. Of course, you could give this to one of your allies, probably one who otherwise wouldn't be casting spells, but why ask another character to spend their entire action on one of your spells when you have a perfectly good homunculus that could do it for you? Now, I intentionally set this up by talking to my DMs about this in a slide into my DMs episode a couple of weeks ago because I had this in mind, right? I think that with an intelligence of 10, 
and an anatomy on this homunculus that should really have no problem gripping or wearing like a crystal, say, that's attached to a chain tied around its neck or something. There's no reason, rules is written, that your homunculus shouldn't be able to use this item. Let me know if you disagree and why. But assuming we can do this, I think the clear choice for what spell to store is fairy fire. So from this point on, I'm gonna assume that our homunculus is using fairy fire on our enemies, and with 10 charges, they can use it pretty liberally, right? Making, uh, you know, maybe a couple of times per combat or more if necessary to like get all of the enemies in the area of effect or to recast it on uh, an enemy or two that maybe made their saving throw the first time, etc. And then we would be using our own concentration to cast haste on ourselves. Alternatively, of course, we could use bless instead of haste. We couldn't use bless in the spell storing item because bless is not an artificer spell. Uh, but we could use bless for our own concentration and now we're an amazing like party buffing machine, right? Giving everyone in the party advantage thanks to fairy fire and a plus d4 to hit and to their saves but haste is going to improve our own numbers a lot more so that's what i'll assume that we're using uh, when i crunch the numbers also can i just mention right now how incredibly durable this character is i, I know i never do that when i'm talking about sustained damage per round builds, right? But let's just assume for a moment that we have not yet been able to find some mithril plate armor, and we're still tooling around with our clunky old, like, non-magical breastplate. With our dexterity, we'd be at a 16 armor class. Um, if we're using enhanced defense on our shield, we would be at a 20 armor class. Cloak of protection that we made for ourselves puts us at 21. With haste up, we're at 23. If we do decide not to worry about the stealth disadvantage, or we find some mithril and don that plate armor, we're at a 25 armor class. And we're not even really trying that hard to be tanky. Oh, and we get a plus five to our saving throws five times per day, and two or three times per day, we can just automatically succeed on a concentration check if we fail, which we almost never will. We can heal, we can buff, we can debuff. We're incredibly mobile. We're a fantastic scout, D-trapper, D-locker, <laughs> In short, we are the all-singing, all-dancing crap of the world. Name that movie. Oh, and our damage is really pretty good too. Speaking of damage, at level 13, I think that we've progressed far enough in our infiltrator career that we've been assigned for some additional training in espionage and even assassination. If you're caught, knowledge of this mission, should you choose to accept it, will be denied by the authorities. There are actually a lot of compelling reasons to stick with Infiltrator. More and better magic items and infusions, additional spells, the 15th level perfected armor feature is pretty sweet, but I think that the best and easiest way to add damage at this point, which is primarily what we're building for, is also the best way to really just make our infiltration skills as solid as Tony Stark's ego. And that is to finally cave in and take some rogue levels here. So that's what we're going to do. So we are a level one rogue here at level 13, and uh, we get Thieves Cant, which is a nice utility feature to talk and communicate with others who can speak it or write it or read it. And we get uh, Sneak Attack, which of course allows us to add, at this point, 1d6 damage once per turn to a hit if we made the attack with advantage or if the enemy that we're attacking is within five feet of one of our allies. And I just, I really love the idea of that first attack that we do being like even more 
powered up, right? From our, both our special weapon and now from sneak attack damage. It's just like... <laughs> like that. Also, at Rogue Level 1, we get expertise. Finally, the thing that I agonized over forever when first creating this character. I'm finally getting it. So... I think, like I've said, I think we're, we've probably been okay without it thus far between our decent deck score and advantage on stealth checks, but doubling our proficiency bonus for it now just makes it feel a lot better. We already had expertise with thieves tools thanks to Artificer, so I would probably take stealth and then perception for the other skill that I get to double my proficiency bonus in to help us with our hidden door and trap finding. As for a damage report, at level 13, things have changed quite a bit for us since our last damage report. Our infusions have improved, we're using haste on ourselves now for three attacks, and we've added some sneak attack damage once per turn. This means that on round one, we're hasting ourselves, and our homunculus is casting fairy fire, and remember, if we haste ourselves, that same turn we get another action, right? Again, we can only make one attack with it, but still, at least we're getting an attack right out of the gate, which is nice. After round one, then we start going to town, making three attacks with our lightning blast uh, for 1d6, plus five for intelligence, plus two for our enhanced weapon, plus 10 for sharpshooter, all with advantage, presumably. And our first attack that lands does an extra 2d6 for sneak attack and lightning launcher, with your homunculus making a bonus action attack for 1d4 plus 5. So against an enemy with a 10 armor class, we're doing 78 damage per round on average, and against an enemy with a 17 armor class, that is 70 damage per round. You never turn off sharpshooter even at an enemy AC of 25. It's pretty solid DPR, and it's a nice upgrade over the last time we checked. At level 14, we're a rogue 2. We get cunning action, which lets us, as a bonus action, disengage, dash, or hide. That can be really handy a lot of the time. At level 15, we're a rogue 3. Our sneak attack damage goes up to a 2d6, which is great. And then we get our roguish archetype, our rogue subclass. Part of me really wants to go arcane trickster here, um, giving us access to some spells we didn't have before, among other things. But I think that the archetype that fits best for us thematically here, as I've sort of hinted at, is Assassin. We infiltrate, we take out those high priority targets, and hopefully make sure there are no witnesses. So, as an Assassin, first up, we get proficiency with Disguise Kit and the Poisoner's Kit. Okay. And we also get Assassinate, right? So. Assassinate is a pretty great feature. It gives us advantage in combat against an enemy who hasn't taken their turn yet, and then when an enemy is surprised, any attacks that hit are automatic critical hits. Here's that third way that we left out of the Critlander build a couple of weeks ago for guaranteed criticals, right? Of course, the frequency with which this comes up for you is going to depend mostly on your table, your fellow players, your DM. Man, it is really powerful if you can get it, but obviously you're not going to be able to rely on it every single combat encounter, right? But even if you can't get that surprise benefit in, the advantage versus an enemy who hasn't taken their turn yet is actually pretty nice for us because remember our, our homunculus is casting fairy fire and they don't go until after our turn so now right in round one we can be jumping into combat with advantage on our attacks making our two attacks you know with advantage right in round one hopefully taking out an enemy early on, maybe with a little help from our friends if we need it. But then round two, cast haste, 
get one attack on the enemy um, who's already been hit with fairy fire, ideally, right? And then we're potentially enjoying advantage throughout the entire encounter. And remember, our first hit is our most important hit. So haste and then attack, if that attack hits, uh, is going to be the majority of the damage that we do thanks to the sneak attack and the extra d6 we get from our lightning launcher. At level 16, fine, it's late game, let's have some fun. Our infiltration training is complete and our handlers have decided to take us back to our roots and increase our martial training. Maybe they even decided to experiment on us a little bit. Um, maybe they even start tinkering, but with our brain, like giving us some sort of magical or mechanical implant. Man, this is getting really science fiction-y now. As if it wasn't already. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna take some more fighter levels here. So fighter two here at level 16. And yeah, action surge, it's amazing. Especially since we already had one level one fighter, we arguably should have done this sooner. But anyway, once per short rest, we get to just have two actions in a turn. And those actions let us do whatever we can normally do with an action, including up to two attacks if we take the attack action. And then at level 17, we would be a fighter three, and we get our martial archetype, our fighter subclass, and I want to take the Psy Warrior subclass. Here's another subclass that I get a lot of requests for, but I have yet to do in any build uh, previously. I, I do plan on giving it a proper treatment later, but for this build, it was a nice little add-on here at the end since we already had fighter levels and we've got a maxed intelligence. So first off, as a Psy Warrior, we get the psionic power feature. We get some D6s to use to fuel some of our abilities, similar to the Battlemaster who gets superiority dice and maneuvers, right? The number of D6s we get is double our proficiency bonus. Uh, so that's 12 right now per long rest, which is a ton. And then we get one extra one per short rest too. So at least 13 a day, probably more. What are those abilities that we can potentially fuel? First up, protective field. So when we or an ally within 30 feet take damage, we can use our reaction to reduce it by our psionic energy die plus our intelligence mod. And that's not going to be a ton of damage, especially at this level, but you know, it'll be a nice way to increase our already amazing survivability, uh, or more likely potentially help out a friend. We also get telekinetic movement as an action once per short rest, or if we spend one of our 13 plus psionic energy dice, you can move a large or smaller creature up to 30 feet, horizontally, vertically, or both. Holy cow, this is really great. I mean, it costs your action, right? But that's potentially very strong. Push an enemy off a cliff or into an area of spell effect, you know, from your ally or away from you or an ally or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Forced enemy movement with no save, by the way, is very powerful and 30 feet of it is unique and amazing. We also get psionic strike, of course, and that's the main reason that we are here. Uh, once per turn after hitting an enemy with a weapon attack that's within 30 feet of us, so it's not a huge range. We might have to scoot up if we've been trying to snipe from afar, right? We can deal an extra psionic energy die plus our intelligence mod in force damage. Now, at early levels, it would be tough to call this sustainable damage, but at this point with 13 or more uh, psionic energy dice per long rest. 
I'm just going to go ahead and assume that most of us are going to be able to use this on most, if not all, of our attacks in an adventuring day. So I'm adding it to our calculations. So speaking of those calculations, final damage report. I'm assuming three attacks per turn, thanks to haste, all with advantage, thanks to fairy fire, for d6 plus two for enhanced weapon, plus five for our intelligence modifier, plus 10 for sharpshooter. And then the first hit that lands deals an extra 1d6 from lightning launcher, 2d6 from sneak attack, and 1d8 plus five for psionic strike. And our little homunculus pet is doing 1d4 plus six for a bonus action. So against an enemy with a 10 armor class, we get up to 93 damage per round on average. And against an enemy with an 18 armor class, it's 84 damage per round. All right, so final thoughts. Because I've done so many sustained damage per round builds over the year plus that I've been doing this channel, I've had to split them up into two tiers because they weren't fitting on the graph. I have a very overly simplistic way for doing this, but basically it just is averaging all of the damage that they do at every enemy armor class for all the damage reports and uh, and then just giving them like a final average score, right? It's not particularly precise, it's just something to sort of separate my builds from one another. Anyway, the tier score then for this particular build comes in at a 58, which puts it comfortably into the middle of the tier one builds for sustained DPR. And I'm not gonna lie, that surprised me a lot. I wasn't expecting it to be that high. I thought it would be like in the lower end of tier two when I kind of first started creating this build. The difference maker I think was the really strong start and strong finish, plus the relative flatness of their damage curve due to a reliable advantage. But the craziest thing about this build is not the damage that it brings, but that it's unquestionably the most durable of any damage focused build I've ever done like by a mile. And it also brings more utility and buffing and support than most of those damage focused builds bring as well. Now, there is one big potential weakness to this subclass, frankly, and it's how reliant it is on lightning damage. Obviously, there are monsters out there who are resistant and even, heaven forbid, uh, immune to lightning damage. Hopefully, your DM won't be so cruel as to just fill your entire campaign with nothing but blue dragons. But I would expect to run into resistance and even immunity from time to time, and in my mind, that's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with running into some scenarios once in a while to keep you on your toes, you know? Again, I don't think it's the role of the dungeon master to find ways to just counter you. And so for those who say, oh, this is so easily countered with just lightning resistance monsters, sure. So is every build out there pretty much easily countered, or at least the vast majority of them. And you know, in my mind, as I've mentioned in the past, like D&D is not a game between you and your dungeon master and they're just kind of looking for ways to make your build ineffective. If you're playing with a DM who plays like that, fine, you know, don't play an infiltrator <laughs> and or consider getting a new DM. But in those situations where you're running into lightning resistance and immunity, you know, you'll have to spend, you'll have to depend on your other spells, primarily cantrips like Firebolt, and that's why we took it at the beginning, right? So long as it's just once in a while, I don't see this as being a huge issue for this character. Now, if they have lightning and fire resistance, you could be in some serious trouble. I don't know. Just don't bring an infiltrator to a Tiamat fight. <laughs> anyway, that's the episode for the week. So thank you so much for watching. I 
love you guys. You're fantastic. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope that you will subscribe and like and consider joining the channel as a member and all of those things. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you again soon. So thanks. Take care.